You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that encourages mindfulness, gratitude, and hopefully an occasional laugh. I'm Mark Reed, a former college professor and lawyer. Now I live in the countryside of Japan, make traditional Japanese paper, and try to make myself and the world a little better today than it was yesterday. I'm here twice a week, either with research and observations or talking with inspiring, artistic, and influential people. The idea is to bring some calm and kindness to the world and help you do the same. Hey, here we are. Now, if you're a loyal listener to the show, uh, at first glance, you might be thinking, oh, okay, Mark, now what in the Zen hell do you got going on here this time? You're interviewing Playboy Playmates now? What, where's this show going, Mark? And uh, if you're thinking that, you haven't really been listening because Zen is all about observing the world we are in without judgment. It's about gratitude, about living in the moment, about being open to possibilities and overcoming obstacles. All of these attributes characterize the life of uh, Deborah Driggs. You need to hear her whole story. Here are just some highlights of the remarkable life is very much still remarkable. For starters, she was an athlete before becoming a model. She was an elite, uh, elite level figure skater. Later, she spent some time modeling uh, before Playboy, uh, some here in Japan in the 1980s. Um, and uh, she's been in commercials and in movies. She's a member of the Screen Actors Guild. She's been on the Oprah Winfrey Show. She was married to an Olympic gold medal gymnast. She's a mother of three. She's an advocate of the Redemption Project, a prison reform movement, one in which I wholeheartedly support. She's a published author. She is working on another book now, her memoirs, uh, which I already think should be made into a movie now that I, I fully know her bio. Um, I'll ask her about that. Wait for it, folks. We're not done. We haven't even got to the business stuff. She worked in real estate and uh, second home luxury homes in, uh, in Utah. And when the market took a dive in 08, that was over. And I think by her own admission, she had hit a sort of financial rock bottom. But when one door closes, another opens. Deborah rose from the ashes to be, become a life insurance specialist. She is now in the top 5% of her industry nationwide. I told you this is remarkable, folks. This woman does not know how to quit. Uh, and that's not to say it's been or ever was easy. Oh, yes, I forgot. Uh, she's also was a Playmate of the Month, by the way. Something like that for some magazine. I don't know. She can tell us about that, too. Um, but let's let her tell the story. Welcome to the program, Deborah Driggs. Hi, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, what an introduction. I think by far that was probably the most beautiful, well said introduction that I've had. And I've done <laughs> probably in the last two months, I've done close to 50 podcasts, mm. sometimes three a day. And, and that was just beautiful. So thank you. Oh my gosh. I, le I left stuff out. <laughs> I had to cut, I had to cut that back. I was like, well, I don't really even have to talk. <laughs> you've, you've helped rescue horses. You've adopted a, a remote primary school in Peru. I yeah. mean, there's stuff I left out. <laughs> yeah, and that's been the most amazing, you know, like if I, the most joy that I've gotten out of anything has been, you know, my top five things would be raising my kids, obviously. And then right saving horses and helping kids in Peru. I mean, that, that's just it. That's everything, you that's know? It. Yeah. That's, that's well, success. You, that's true success. 
Well, I mean, I we have some parallels. I wasn't uh, in Playgirl or anything, but I uh, I did certainly change careers. I used to be an attorney, and I uh, and then I was a college professor. Now I make Japanese paper, <laughs> and I live in the rice paddy. So you know, we. <laughs> so it's ohio gozaimasu for you yeah and uh you're in uh california right so it's just late afternoon there right or well late afternoon, afternoon. yep yeah. yep All right. cool yeah well, japan is one of my most beautiful favorite countries that i've had the pleasure of visiting and living and mm-hmm. i love the culture i love the people i love the work ethic i mean yeah. there's just so much i could say about japan i learned so much you know i moved there when I was 20 years old, that's when my modeling career started. Um, I want people to hear your full story. So take us back to 14. Um, yeah, you were. Uh, the trauma here. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh. <laughs> what happened? You were a figure skater. Your parents got divorced. You had to give up figure skating. Uh, you know, tell us what happened and what effect it had on you. Yeah, I found I found the ice at age five. My mom put me in group lessons and I just, the minute my feet hit the ice, I was home. I loved to skate. And so I got really good, really quick. I went through the whole group thing because I wanted my own coach. I mean, I, I, I just had this like sense of knowing what I wanted to do as a kid. And so my mom rallied and did it. We didn't have any money. And so she worked really hard and her, everything she made went towards my skating because we were very, very broke, you know, and a mean, you know, my dad was mean. He wasn't a nice person. And, and when they got a divorce, you, you had to go live with him, right? Or Yeah. Which was so unfortunate. My poor mom, you know, she just didn't have any money. She had, it's like, she didn't have money. She didn't know what it was just, everything was bad. So at 14, I came home and my dad had already moved out. He was gone. And, and then he called and, you know, back then you had the phone. Yeah. The rotary phones. Yeah. Dial. Right. I remember. (laughs) So he called and I answered the phone and, and I'm crying and begging, you know, please come home. And, you know, I think growing up because of, because I felt all the tension in the house, I was always trying to get good grades, Mm. be funny, be talented be to put on shows, you yeah. know, attention was my first addiction. It was like, Hey, look at me. Mm. And so when they got divorced, it would just destroyed me because nothing I did worked. Right. So right. that was like my first feeling of like, nothing I do works. Mm. First so that hard, would, that hard would, lesson. Yeah. In life. Yeah. And that would catch up with me later on in life. I didn't know it at the time. You know, you don't, I didn't know what was going on and nobody ever sat us down like I said or told us what was going on we just had to guess and so when my dad moved out there was no money I had to quit skating I was devastated no skating no private high school right parents divorced it like all fell apart at 14 and that was the first time in my life that's a hard that's a hard lesson to learn at 14 it was it was so brutal. It was, I just remember thinking nobody cares. Yeah. But what I like about your story, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, um, but, um, and you know, I'm not saying I'm glad this trauma happened to you, but I love that when you look at it in the full scope of your whole life, it seems to be 
I don't know, this fighting spirit that came out of you because, you know, you were, you weren't going to let that be the end of you. you. Your skating might be put aside or over. Then you moved on to modeling and, you know, or then you, uh, I mean, you moved on to Playboy. And after that, you've moved on to all these other things. You know, I just think it seems to me when I look over your bio and your resume that, you know, you, there's something innate in you that says, I'm not, you can push me down, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to yeah. keep going. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I would say that there is definitely something, you know, I think you're born with that kind of fighter spirit. Mm-hmm. And I definitely had that fighter spirit. And, you know, my, my dad was really difficult. He, he was an alcoholic. He mm-hmm. is an alcoholic. He was mean. He wasn't really around. He didn't really care. Right. But the weirdest part is, you know, my dad was so bitter and so broke, you know, he had no money. He had money to do what he wanted to do. But when it came to me, I said, you know, dad, I wore a uniform in, in school and I don't have any clothes right. and he would not buy me clothes. So I'm wearing the same thing every day. I had like two pair of pants <laughs> right. and I had one pair of shoes, you know, stupid and nothing matched. And I look, I was bullied, you know, it was like, I, people would go, who's this girl? She's weird. <laughs> and so I said, you know, dad, I need clothes. I have no clothes. And he didn't care. He's like, get a job. So I did. And yeah, so I got a, I, I got a full-time job and I had really peculiar jobs in the I beginning. Read. Yeah. Cause <laughs> cemetery and yeah, I worked at Inglewood. And- I worked at Inglewood cemetery yeah. and I, I put flower arrangements together and then we, we'd put them on the graves and then I worked at pioneer chicken. And then I got a full-time <laughs> job at Clark drugs and I worked at Clark drugs from two in the afternoon till 11 till they closed. Wow seven days a week. And I was able to buy my first car. So I was like that though. If something needed to be done, Mm -hmm. nobody else was going to do it. Things like that. And then, you know, I was a cheerleader and I paid for all my cheerleading uniforms and and all of that. And you eventually became a cheerleader in the USFL, right? Yeah. I knew that I was going to do something better and move on and and I didn't need to be pulled down by that energy. I'm glad that you, uh, you know, I don't want to say ignored the naysayers, but you didn't let them stop you um, because, you know, all of these are pieces of the puzzle that is your life, which is, you know, as I said in the beginning, is remarkable, is extraordinary. Um, so at some point, uh, you're, you know, you've got representation and you get sent on a call uh, for, a playboy i guess to be in a lingerie uh, magazine or something but then they you get there yeah. and like take your clothes off and put this robe on and you're like, yeah, uh, exactly. I, I wasn't here for that <laughs> it's it's amazing because you know i didn't really know much about playboy and when my agent called me and said hey playboy's coming out with a new book they like your look we we submitted you for this it's for the cover of the lingerie book and i thought the first question out of my mouth was, is there nudity? And she's like, I don't think so. It's for the cover. And I said, okay, well, I'll go. And it was at the famous building on sunset. And I showed up and signed in and they called my name and took me back. And they had, you know, it's the famous building on sunset. So the studio's beautiful. And they gave me a robe and said, you know, take everything off and we're going to do 
a few Polaroids and some shots of you. And I said, Oh no, I'm not here for that. <laughs> you know, I'm here for the new lingerie book. And they said, well, everything we do, you know, we have to see your body. Right. Well, in 1989, they were really looking for scars and tattoos, birthmarks, piercings. It was a different world back then. Right. And there wasn't a lot of airbrushing like there is today. <laughs> and so what, what you saw is what was what was what. So a lot of makeup, a lot of hair, but not a lot of airbrushing at that time. And so I went, I took everything off except my undergarments and came out and they're like, really? And I'm like, we do a few Polaroids. I leave. I'm thinking that was the end of that because I was difficult and they're not going to be interested in me. But that afternoon I got a call and they said, we would like to test you to be a centerfold. And I just dropped the phone. I was like, what? I think I got the (laughs) wrong girl. There were a lot of girls there when I signed in. I think you're confusing me with somebody else. And they're like, no, we want you. Well, you, uh, you were the centerfold and, uh, uh, I guess for March, which Donald Trump was on that cover. And then you were on the cover the next month, right? In April. Correct. Yeah. So I uh, shot, I shot for about eight weeks for the, the layout in March. And then they flew me to Chicago and I shot a cover and it was like a whirlwind. Next thing I knew I was March 90 and I was on the cover of April 90, which was also a little ironic, you know, it was not real normal to have two months in a row. Right. And also now who knew that Donald Trump would be the president of the United States. So now my so, issue yeah. is a collector's item. There's so much uh, to that. Not only like the fact that you were in the issue that Trump was on the cover in, in, uh, in 90. I mean, you, I guess the, the, uh, the photo shoot was in 89. Also in 1989, there was no internet. There was no, no one had even dreamed of the internet yet. Did you in your wildest imagination, uh, you know, think that, 30 plus years later, the world would have accessibility to something you were doing in 1989. Completely changed everything. You got that right. (laughs) I mean, you know, when I posed for Playboy, you had to go and buy the magazine (laughs) to see it, you know? And if somebody would have told me, you know, Deb, in 20 years, People are going to get on this device called a computer right? and they're going to be able to Google your name, Google your name, and everything you've ever done is going to show up. Would you I would have, have said, yeah, I would have have said you're, you know, I will, I will say this. I don't, I cannot waste time with what ifs, what if, what if, because gotcha. I think everything happens how it's supposed to happen. I like that answer. That's good. In, in some ways, you know, I mean, I try now to be a little more cognizant of things, but back then, who knew? I didn't know. Mm. So I don't, I would have probably made the same decision. I can't, mm. if, you know, it's a complete unknown. And the mm. fact that it happened mm. changed everything I'm because sure. now everything is available. You know, yeah. and Playboy just became really in in not insignificant, but it became smaller. Not ob- right, not obsolete, but I mean, now you know you can get because so much wanted, more right on they the internet. To, they and I sort of respect you know 
Hef's uh, position that he wanted to keep the same, you know, he didn't want to go the, the way of like pornography or, you know, the, the, what, no. uh, you know, he kept, I mean, that magazine still main, uh, maintained and maintains a reputation for good journalism, you know, in it, it, it was Absolutely. a credi credible he, journalistic uh, magazine. The centerfold really was the afterthought it right. was, it was the, the, you know icing it was like on the cake it, it was yeah. the icing on the cake it was the what he did in college you know it was like the pinup girl it was mm. the calendar it was the calendar girl it was and then he was and then he was like how it became the centerfold is when he figured out that you could have an extra page <laughs> so that they didn't have to reduce they couldn't figure out how to get the whole thing in two pages and that's where the centerfold came from. I mean, it's the history of it is so amazing, but it just became a gentleman's magazine. It that became, was the idea. Yeah. yeah, a total home where men could go and learn about cigars, learn about <laughs> how to dress, you know, funny jokes, great journalism, right. great stories, great articles. So, uh, so it, he was on the cutting edge he, yeah. of everything. Yep. He, he spoke up about so many things that people were afraid to speak up mm. about. And, right. you know, well, I uh, just, I just, uh, I loved Hef a lot. When you look back, was uh, Playboy uh, more helpful or harmful? I heard you say on another podcast once, like, hey, when money's on the table, nobody gives a shit about the other stuff. <laughs> like, you know, when a business deal is on the table, they don't care if you post in Playboy or not. It, so I assume no. it wasn't, it wasn't an obstacle for you. Well, you know, did I have to work a little bit harder to be taken seriously? Yes. Hmm. Because, you know, when people, first of all, I used my married name in business. So there wasn't a lot there with my Gaylord? married name, Gaylord. Okay. And so when, when people would actually find out, they were like, wait a minute, were you in Playboy? Cause you know, <laughs> the talk would happen and somebody would mention, or, you know, she did Playboy and, I would say, you know, maybe a little bit of, of pushback of, you know, is she smart? What, what's the deal? What right. she posed in Playboy? Is she an actress or is she a businesswoman? Like, what's the deal? But that was very little. I think that, I think all my life, even after I did Playboy, I would, I would be on certain meetings or certain projects or you know, whatever I was doing at the time. And Playboy just wasn't an issue. Yeah. It just, it just wasn't. And, and then when people found out that I was a playmate or I think they were just, if anything, more surprised because of the way I did conduct, conduct myself, you know, yeah. the way I did handle myself in meetings and, you know, how hard I do work. So yeah, when for I, me, what, I, I think I think anything is possible. And so now what's really cute is because now that I have had some success in the business world, now I can tell in a meeting if somebody has done their research. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're looking at me just a little differently. If say I'm in a meeting with four or five people. And I can, I feel the energy. It's like, I'll look at them and I'll go, oh, they, they, they Googled me. They, they're on to me. They're on that's, to me. They, got, they know what's going on. Oh. And so, and you know, and I can tell that they cannot wait for the meeting to be over so they can come up to me 
and start asking me questions about the mansion or have. Or... Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so you that's know... really, that's, that's kind of funny, but you know, it's yeah, what... <laughs> really, it, if anything, it's never, it's never been a problem. I, mm. it's not that I downplay uh, yeah. it, but it's, it, you know, in the, in the big scheme of things, it is really, even though it's a big deal, it's a small part of who I am. Yeah. The, well, that uh, actually, I'll jump ahead to a question I was going to ask later. I want to come back to 2008, though. But uh, um, a question I had was that if you, when you look back at your life so far, uh, what would you say is the the apex, the most quintessential moment? Uh, or maybe it hasn't happened yet. Um, but, you know, when you look back, I and mean, there may be multiple sort of pinnacle moments of success. And but, you know, what, when you look back, what do you see is like the like that's that was a you know kind of my best accomplishment or something like that oh wow um that's a really good question i i would say that figuring out that when you have success that is not when the growth takes place and that my darkest horrible, dark failure times when I just felt like the biggest failure is when the most growth occurred for me emotionally and spiritually. And, 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 and it didn't have to be a huge failure. I can tell you that I've had really beautiful success Mm-hmm. and still felt not so great. Sure. And I've had really <laughs> horrible failures and I was okay. Yeah. And so there's, it doesn't like, and I can remember saying when I was like kind of at the, in my forties, broke three kids, no place to live, had to go live with my mom, had to work on a boat. I mean, all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I can remember being in that part of my life thinking if I just had some money, I could fix all this. Yeah. And then guess what? You get the money and you're not fixing what really needed <laughs> to be fixed. Uh-huh. And yeah. that was the aha moment is when I actually did start making money. And I thought, I thought it would fix everything uh-huh. and it's not. And so what's going on here? And that's when my growth really started taking place because I realized that everything I was reaching for was really outside of myself. And all I really, really need to do every day is keep working on this instrument and, and not be so hard and judgmental and controlling and beat myself up, you know, and I think, you know, going back to what you said earlier in the show is like, where did that come from that fighter in me? But the problem sometimes with being that fighter perfectionist, I'll get it done. Everything's okay. Is that I, I did not ever take the time to look at un, you know, un, um, what do you, how would I say this problems that had never been addressed? Oh, right. They just got covered up. Mm. So, so I did playboy cover that problem. So I made that money cover that problem. So I married an Olympic athlete Mm. cover that problem. It's like, you can do all these things in your life that just cover, cover things up. And on the outside, it all looks really good. But on the inside now, 
all those traumas, all those problems are getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I was in my forties and went, Oh my God, Mm. I have some work to do here. (laughs) And it was the hardest thing to do because now I'm not married. I didn't have a cheerleader. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a coach. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know where to turn or where to go to get the help that I really needed. And so that, I think those, those were the turning points when I, and by the way, once you realize that something needs to be adjusted, something needs to be looked at, something needs to be fixed, Mm. that just that little awareness kind of puts you on that path of growth. And all of a sudden, it's like when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> you, but there's some, there's a lot of truth to that. You fit right in this. I mean, it's stuff you just talked about, about, excuse me, about, um, you know, you were looking for like external things to make you happy. Uh, when I get money, this will be, this will fix this. Or when I do this, this will, things will be better. <clears throat> excuse me. But um but then you, you know, you got to a point where you realize, like, I got to fix what's inside. I got to look yeah. within. And, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I just, aware- I just did. Yeah. I just did some work. God, almost a year ago, I went to a place in Tennessee where I could go and do some really deep, deep diving trauma work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, that's the kind of stuff I do now. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I reach out to people in my life who I consider mentors or people in my life that I look up to. And I want to know what, I want to know what they're doing. And so somebody had recommended this place where you go for a week and you do this deep dive into some trauma. And I got to really work out a lot of the stuff that, that I did wrong in my marriage. It wasn't about what he did. It was all about what I did and what, what I didn't know at the time when I was married and, you know, my ex-husband, the poor man, you know, I'm dealing with all these traumas and things and he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that I'm super sad on the inside and Mm. I'm not feeling, you know, I feel like a failure and he doesn't know that. And I think he probably had a little bit of that himself. I don't know, but can you imagine when two people are in a relationship and they're not feeling, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's not, you know, I mean, you sure. can look at people like, you know, I know people say this, like things like when Brad and Angelina Jolie got divorced, everybody was like, oh, my God, if the hottest couple in the world can't stay married, we've got problems, people. I just you know? saw and, I just saw a meme. <clears throat> excuse me. I just saw a meme somewhere about like if the two richest guys talking about Bezos and um, oh, Bill yeah, 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 Bill Gates. guys can't can't keep a woman happy. Then how do I have a chance? You know, but uh, um. Well, what are you, after you've gone through this evolutionary process and you've, you've learned these things and you've, and you've now looked inside, what are you grateful for these days that you weren't necessarily at 24? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. If I had only known, you know, I'm so grateful for everything today. Mm. I am just so grateful for when I wake up in the morning, the first thought in my head is thank you for another day. Mm. You know, it's like, that is it. I have a morning routine. It works for me. And 
it's like I, I hit the meditation immediately and I set my intention. I feel, get my gratitude list. You know, we're not going to wake up feeling great every day. Right. And some days I wake up and I'm already irritated and I'm like, what's going on? Like, you know how people say you, you got up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, that can happen a lot and we don't realize it. Of course. And so I try now to wake up and think, okay, you woke up. You know, I just had a, a she wasn't a friend, but I knew her and she was in the entertainment world and she just died Friday night and she's only two years older than me. And, you know, things like that stun me now. Yeah. You know, I think, my God, you know, like she was 59, I'm 57. I mean, I'm breathing air today. So mm. I feel really good about that. But, you know, even at 24, I wish I would have started my day that way. I would have had, I wouldn't have to grind. I wouldn't have had to grind it out so hard. And I didn't take the time to learn. Mm. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> yeah, don't we? Didn't we all? And what a what a what a joke! Because I'm 57, and and I feel like I'm just getting started now. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like, and but I, you know, I love that I had all that experience, and it's the reason why I'm writing this 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 book is because I really want girls that are in their 20s that think, oh, if I just do Playboy, or if I just yeah make a million dollars or if i just make nowadays it's a billion dollars if i just get on the billion dollar list my life will be right. perfect yeah. i will have hit the mark and it's just not the case because yeah, a lot of that stuff happened for me and i dated the great guys i married an olympic athlete i married the love of my life and i we it didn't you know yeah. it's sad it's really sad you well, know it's I I don't it's, think it's like, yeah. it's, it, it, but you, you it's, how do I, I think, say this? I think it's, if somebody can learn from your, your experience though, and well, and yeah, that's the whole thing. If I help one person who yeah, maybe and, is, who's maybe thinking, oh, my marriage is over or this. And I want to go just wait just a second because <laughs> it might not be over. It might just be you and, and, and I'll yeah. go a step further that like, not only is it not sad, it, it's, it, w there's something beautiful in your story in that you did realize it. What would be sad is if you realized it at, at 84 on your deathbed and it's all over and it's too late then, you know? Yeah, um, that's but, true. You know, you realize it when you still have a good chunk of life left. And so now, you, you know, so a lot of people, I've got friends that still want to relive high school days over 30 years ago, right? They they want to talk about the glory days. And I'm like, that's third. I'm I'm past high school. You know, I, I've done so much more. I still have plans to do more. And, you know, that's what you you still got a lot of great life ahead of you. Oh, absolutely. I feel that way. I feel I got my post today on social media was. I'm 57 and I feel the best I've ever felt. Yeah. You know, I wake up, I'm healthy. Mm. I'm, I'm training with a trainer and I walk, you know, probably five miles at least two, three times a week. You know, if, and then I train with a trainer and I do my yoga and, you know, I don't have, I, I have yeah. really good health. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, it's like, I feel the pretty much the best. And I have also 
all this life experience that makes it really nice to be able to say, that's okay. I don't care. They don't have to like me. I'm not for everybody. <laughs> there you go. Or that I, would have really bummed me out 10 years ago. I know. I've, I've actually got an episode in my, my podcast here that uh, is a whole, I do half my episodes are interviews like this. And then the other half I do, I fly solo. And in uh, one of the solo ones, the title of it is not everybody's going to like you. And that's okay. That's <laughs> and, okay. Uh, yeah. It's a hard um, concept to wrap your head around when you're young, but as you get older and you really do the work and you yeah. have that growth, you realize you're not going to be for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you could, that's you, okay. And yeah, and, you, you could be a ray of sunshine and just, there's some people who prefer darkness. I mean, you just can't well, help that, you know, <laughs> that is exactly right. And so I'm really careful, you know, I'm, I have, as I get older, I have less and less nonsense in my life, I guess is the best way to put it. And I'm really picky about how I spend my time because I know it's valuable. It's so valuable. That is, that's a perfect segue to the, the last thing I usually do on, uh, on each episode is I do a segment called five minutes Zen, and, uh, and don't worry, you don't have to know anything about Zen. I'm not going to ask you about, uh, I, this show basically it's designed to, uh, kind of give practical real world zen thought to i mean you can be a christian uh, and practice this isn't a religion or anything this is just you know a way to, a perspective a way to see the world so uh i try to give practical advice uh, so i'm going to ask you a question um okay. that i think that uh from your answer from it people will get that kind of advice and that'll be their five minutes zen today um that question is how do you stay grounded i have seen pictures of you with richard branson <laughs> I uh, I saw a brief interview with uh, where TMZ cornered you to ask you about Caitlyn Jenner. I guess you're friends with them. You know, you you've got the celebrity persona in life. You know, um, but when you're when you when you're done with all that stuff uh, at the end of the day or whenever when and how do you turn off the phone, turn off the world, zone out? You know, when do you, when and how do you make time for yourself? So it's a very great question. I, I think my routine speaks for itself. I get up, I meditate. I have a journal that I write in. I have meditation music that I have playing in my office at all times. I, I either stretch, do yoga or go for a walk. And I get centered before I even open my computer and look at my emails. Mm. And I do a lot of deep breathing. Mm. I have positive affirmations everywhere. <laughs> like they were on my on they my work. desk. You know, if I <laughs> all I have to do is pull something out and read it <laughs> to change my state. Um, I have now I'm really into sleep. So I bought this ring that helps helps me understand how I'm sleeping at night because I do require a really good deep sleep and yoga is my go-to mm. you know if I feel like I'm in a funk or I can't think my way out of something I go okay Deb do yoga and then go back to this there you go that's and it. that's that's my go-to and mm. and then before I make any decision now I sleep on it where in the past I was super impulsive and I made decisions very quickly and not in the right state of mind. And now I sleep on it. Yeah. If, if a yeah. decision, if it, and I don't care what the decision is, you'd be, you'd be amazed at the difference 
it makes in my life. It could be as simple as I think my daughter asked me something the other day and it was such a simple question. It was like, what did she ask? It was something about if her boyfriend could stay here or, you know, something about, and I said, let me sleep on it. And she just kind of looked at me like, it shouldn't be that difficult. But I said, you know, if I don't practice it with everything, I won't do it with the big things. Good answer. And so I just, it's all about practice. And so now when I get asked anything, if somebody says, Hey, do you want to go on, want to go on a trip or do you want, and all that really is, is maturity. Right. It's like, I'm finally at a place where I'm actually using my mature brain <laughs> and I'm saying, let me sleep on it before I make this decision, before I make some irrational decision, let me jump on a plane and go do that. And so everything now is, let me sleep on it. And, and it could even be somebody asking me out on a date. Hey, um, you know what? Let, let me, me sleep let me on it. it. <laughs> let me think about it. Because really, you know, sometimes we say yes too quick and I have done that. And mm. so that's, that's a hard lesson to learn when you want to back out of something that you already yeah. said yes to. I, that is the worst feeling for me. I don't like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, we talked about the book Hope to have it out by the end of the summer. Yeah. I'm, I'm working really more towards the end of the year. Okay. Um, I'm taking my time with it. There you go. Um, I'm launching a website in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to post all that information on Instagram, but everything like my journey now is on Instagram and I have a page on Facebook, Deborah Driggs official, I believe is the, the page. And then my website is DebraDriggs.com. You okay. can go to it right now. It's just not up and running, um, but it's, it exists. And, okay. and then, yeah, hopefully, not hopefully, the book will be, be done by the end of the year. Okay. Really uh, where I'm at with it is I'm just trying to decide if I want to self-publish it or if I want to go in a different yeah. direction. So I'm just, that's where I'm at right now with it. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I think it should, uh, at the beginning, I, I think it should be a movie already. Oh, <laughs> um, thank you. That is a, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll link all that stuff in the show notes for anybody who, when they find this podcast, um, you know, I'll put your, uh, your Instagram and uh, Facebook and, and your website. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, if you like this episode and the show in general, buy us a cup of coffee uh, for three bucks, just one time a month. Um, you can support us at patreon.com slash Zen Sandwich. Uh, if you can't right now, that's fine, too. I'm glad you're listening. You can still help that by telling someone else about the show. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, please hit subscribe. Um, Deborah, thanks again. I'm, uh, I'm going to go do Thank some yoga you. now. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on your show. <laughs>